The Solid 7 Podcast is fueled by Jocko Go. Engineered for anyone who wants to get after it in life, pre-meeting, pre-testing, pre-negotiation, or pre-mission. If you're looking for an extra cognitive or physical edge, Jocko Go is your force multiplier. With 95 milligrams of caffeine and zero sugar, the keto-friendly Jocko Go will give you a physical and cognitive boost without the crash that you experience with average energy drinks. Visit JockoFuel.com today, and you can use our promo code SOLID7, that's S-O-L-I-D-7, to get 10% off your order. Get on the path and get after it. Oh, and because lawyers exist, these statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration, and this product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Well, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to a Solid Summit Podcast, a better than average podcast, if I do say so myself, and I always do. I am, of course, your reasonably humble host, Kale, and back on the podcast with us this week. You know him, you love him, the one and only Colin the Bruce. Welcome back, sir. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, probably uh, a little overdue and just nice to be staring at your beautiful face on the other side of the screen. I would rather be able to reach out and squeeze those cheeks of yours, but I will <laughs> I will take this as a substitution if this is what I can get. Yeah, well, I mean, it's all I have to give. <laughs> so, we're, what, so, like five states apart, so yeah. Yeah, unfortunately. Got. But, uh, you know, uh, nothing's changed since the last time you were here. We are, of course, as always, fueled by Jocko Go here at the Solid 7 Podcast. Cracking open just an ice-cold pink mist, pink lemonade here for the podcast tonight. There you go. Cheers, sir. Good to have you back, buddy. It's been a while. And uh, we've hardly hardly talked since uh, your big news hit the wires in our uh, lovely little circle of friends, which is, uh, I didn't put this in our notes uh, because I didn't want you to veto me talking about it. Uh, And so uh, Colin's lovely wife, Meg, Meg, as we like to call her, comes comes to town to visit without Colin, which I felt like was rude, but we'll take any Bruce we can get back here in the Sunshine State these days. And uh, we're all, we're all having dinner at a friend's house as, as one does. And uh, here's here's sweet little Meg at the at the kitchen sink, rinsing a dish or something. And all of a sudden, I notice her shirt is a very overt reference to her being pregnant. And just God help us all. Uh, I don't know what anybody else present that night has told you, Colin. I was the first to catch the shirt, and I want full credit for that. I'm uh, proud of you. Uh, but then the surprises didn't end there, did they, buddy? No, they didn't. The shirt was just reveal number one. Yeah, true to Colin form, uh, he is an overachiever, and uh, <laughs> couldn't couldn't just make one kid. Nope. Well, yeah, we we couldn't decide on a boy or a girl, so we made one of each. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> which I, look, my dad's a fraternal twin. Uh, none of my dozens of cousins. You know, you know, with their nieces and nephews, any other aunts, uncles, any of my dad or his sister's siblings, twins skipped everyone, everyone. Uh, And we're like the last ones to have a kid. So it's uh, 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, I've uh, you know, like I don't want to strike fear in your hearts here. I mean, we've got two. Two's doable. Um, but we did them one at a time, and I'm trying to think of what multiplying that looks like. And uh, it's going to be a circus. No dude. matter which like, way I, yeah, no matter which way I do the math, it's not good. No. So, but I, I have taken solace in this for you. I would like to offer you this comforting outlook on this your your eve of of fatherhood. Um, Octomom kept them all alive. Like all, they're all alive. She did it. So I'm I'm relatively confident you too can uh, can manage it. Didn't she take donations? I feel like. I could do that, right? Um, I, you know, I think she may have earned her donations in unsavory ways. I, I think oh, no one's going to pay to look at me. That's not, <laughs> that doesn't help. <laughs> I think there, I think there were just straight donations early on. Like I think they got given a van and different stuff like that. Gotcha. Um, but once once that dried up, and uh, you know, she turned to alternative means, and that was pre uh, OnlyFans. Like you had to, you had to work for that back then so wish you nothing but the best octomom wherever you are but i'm just saying if she could keep eight alive the two yeah, of you I mean, can uh, the two of you can pull off a quarter of the work yeah i, I mean i feel like but they're also going to be related to us so they're not going to be like that easy kid all of these parents that are like oh you know my kid was so easy i'm like have you met me like do you know who like i'm not the easiest person to get along with <laughs> well i i don't What's what's funny? What oh. I've I've learned now in my uh, coming up on six years of being a father is whatever anybody is saying about their child or children is only true at the point in time that they're saying it, right? And so, yeah, good point. Um, yeah. You know, if somebody's like, uh, you know, I don't know, just my my nine month old, like they just sleep great and they don't get up, and it's just one of those where it's like, cool, wait though. That's true, right? I'm happy for you right now, but wait. Yeah, right. Because there will be a point where they can exit their bed and their room themselves, and then just let me know how it's going. There will be a point where what they've watched on TV gets embedded in their psyche and keeps them up at night. So just, just let, I'm not, hey, I hope it stays that way for you, but it's really yeah. only true right now. And then you're like, and, uh, you know, not to riff too much off Bluey as we're known to do here. But the mind-boggling thing in parenting is like you have these two little human beings growing up in the same home, in the same environment, with the same parents, and they just could not be more different. Like what what happened here? Oh, yeah. The, uh, the, these two kids are already really different in the womb. Like you can tell um, – you could tell which one's which. Like, and we've guessed a hundred percent. Like, if this this is a double blind test because we we're, we're blind, so this is your perfect ABX test for those statisticians out there. And uh, yeah, we uh, uh, every time we're like, ah, oh, little, little girl's here, little boy's here. Uh, you know, and every time we guess, you know, whether we're going to the high risk doctor or whether we're going to our regular OB, and they want to do ultrasounds, like all the time, we got very many pictures of these little two. Um, Every single time Meg and I agree on it and they're like, Oh, you were right. So just, it's just how they move. They move so differently. They behave so differently. They respond to food differently. Um, yeah, it's funny. 
Dude, and, I'll say, and they're not even, they're not even here yet. I'll say this, brother. When you have the option to go to the high-risk doctor, go to the high-risk doctor. And here's why I'm saying this. Oh, we go every two weeks. Yeah. It's fun. So I'm just saying, like, versus your normal, everyday, run-of-the-mill OB, the the practice my wife goes to, it's like most of them. So there's several doctors, you know. Uh, so I should say several practitioners because they're not all, all doctors. Uh, and... Um, you know, and so they recommend that you start to work your way through them because you don't know who's going to be working when it's time for you to deliver and whatever. Okay, Roger that. And they're just not all created the same. And yeah. uh, with my daughter in particular, we had two real big unnecessary scares with her during that mm-hmm. pregnancy uh, because of an overzealous. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? The the tech doing the the sonograms. And then just kind of poor due diligence from the practitioner on the other side. And both times we got to the high risk doctor and uh, they were like, no, this, this isn't an issue. Like you're fine, which, okay. Wow. Relief, but could have lived without this. And then what's more annoying is getting back to the practice, getting into an appointment with the, the doctor you like, or the doctors that you like. And having them go, yeah, I'm so sorry. I heard about that. I looked at, you know, I looked at your charts, looked at what they were seeing. I, I wouldn't have sent you that assessment was, you know, marginal at best. It's, you know, so the, the, the high risk docs are the high risk docs and make the big bucks for a reason. Yeah. We actually fired our first OB uh, for a few different reasons, but one of them was, um, they uh in the very beginning they kept pushing real hard for some genetic testing and at first you know because it's covered by insurance right yeah. you know um and uh it wasn't free but it was it was you know largely covered and um they kept saying you know oh you know you should you should get them tested you should get them tested i was like i'll just find out at like you know the 20 week mark or whatever whatever's normal right we'll, we'll find out um and then they kind of let the cat out of the bag in our second visit with them, which Meg immediately got placed into a high-risk category just because of her first pregnancy and it's twins, yeah. um, which is appropriate. I appreciated that. Um, but she – we go to the end, and she just won't let it go. And this is the same OB. She would just would not, would not acquiesce when we were like, no, we don't want – we don't want those, those tests. And um, finally she said, well – you know, what if they have some type of defect or whatever? And, uh, and I had to, uh, so minor potty mouth here, get ready, Art. Um, I had to light her ass up and I said, we're not going to kill the kid. Yeah. Done. And just like that, including the done. <laughs> and I kind of like leaned forward. It was like a little bit of a mafia move in a movie. And I just said, discussion over. Cannot emphasize this enough. Don't ever ask me about that again. We're going to keep these kids no matter what. Period. Yeah. Period. I don't care if they have a third arm growing out of their forehead. Keep it. Yeah. I don't need. So I don't care. So it doesn't matter what you think is happening or what or whatever. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. Yeah. We, we're riding. We're riding it out. Right. We, we skip. We, yeah. Gonna, we're going to accept the gift that God gives us. Yeah. Right? We we skipped it with our son because um, my wife was young enough that it wasn't free. Once once the the mother hits a certain age, then it's free under insurance because of the the higher yeah. risk. Um, and we skipped it. And I just, as soon as they asked about it, we both said it would not change anything about how we approach the pregnancy. So we don't need to do it. 
And our answer to that, they didn't ever, if they would have pushed it, they didn't ever because they, you know, I think they knew where we stood. Second time around, we did it just just because it was free and we could find out the gender sooner. So we're like, yeah, roger that, whatever. Yeah, if it was 100% free and they didn't push, honestly, Meg and I were discussing it just just out of curiosity so we would know the gender. Like literally purely just because of that. Uh, so we were not like even opposed to it. Don't push. <laughs> This is real simple, right? If a no is a no, we're all adults. Don't push. Yeah. And they pushed. So, and then they were going to try to railroad us into a C-section. So we ended up hiring a really wonderful uh, Christian doula, very, very accomplished doula. Uh, she's actually got a bunch of people working under her now. And she actually kind of gave us the tea on, because she worked a bunch with our OB and she's like, hey, so you're happy with them? Wasn't pushy at all. And we're like, yeah, you know, I think, yeah, you know, sure, whatever doctor's office and uh and i just point blank asked her and her husband's a firefighter so she gets the very direct way and she used to be a teacher uh so she's very direct way of communicating i said what do you think about them so she gave us the download i think they're going to railroad you into you know c-section no matter what whether you need it or not right because sometimes you need it and she's not anti that she's just like you know if that's not your plan a they they're not going to disclose it to you, and they're going to make a couple you know, multiple interventions and fail to do certain things at certain times and and whatever, and they're just going to set you up like you're going to have a C-section. So she said, if you're curious, if you want to confirm that, she gives some questions. And Meg did a phenomenal job. She went in there, just grilled them, and they and they told them the truth. Yep, yeah, we're going to do that basically, like like very specific medical questions. And they were like, yeah, we're going to do that. We're going to do that. And Meg said, okay, so that's going to result. That's going to guarantee that. Uh, I get a C-section, right? Like logically speaking, like, like that's like, there's no chance I'm going to have a natural birth or even attempt it, right? You're setting me up for a C-section and they, and they, they, they admitted it. So doula saved us there, came in clutch with a much more experienced uh, OB uh, with a much smaller office, long practice. This dude's he's, he's, he's not old, but he's not a spring chicken, bunch of experienced OBs under him, you know, much more aligned, uh, um, both religiously and morally. And, uh, like his dad was an OB. His dad delivered like 7,000 kids before he passed away. And this dude has delivered a few. <laughs> so there's a, you know, a legacy of it. And this new one, we're actually really happy with, even though it's like three times the drive. Um, and, and he also is actually personal friends with our high risk doc, which is an added bonus. Yeah. Uh, so they know each other and love each other. So anyway, yeah, that was like the drama for that, uh, of just, uh, getting good care and and just realizing that we were going to get tricked into, you know, our, our desire is to do, we'll see how this fleshes out. Our desire is to at least reasonably attempt natural birth. And if that doesn't work out, then we have these amazing medical interventions. Um, and they're there. They're, it's wonderful that they're there. It's wonderful to have the uh, option to have a cesarean section, right? Um, but it invented... Uh, if I'm remembering correctly, uh, to uh, save the life of the mother um, and or the baby. Like it was a life-saving intervention. And now it's like 40% of births are C-sections, something like that. Some alarming percentage is never intended to be that way. Yeah. Um, so, and like our OB even admitted, he says, yeah, but you've heard like, you know, breach birth, blah, blah, blah. He's like, I deliver breach babies all the time. He does submissions work too, you know, uh, internationally, but like, he's like, yeah, you could do that. They did it for thousands of years. Like, what do you do? Push kid back in? 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's got a really great bedside manner and i said oh no that makes sense he's like yeah they're saying like it's not the same like you know you have to treat it differently a little bit more caution or whatever he said but yeah that's you know that is totally doable so and uh and he says yeah if you're just not experienced enough haven't been trained on it um you know he, he, he gave an example he said i'm not trained in neurosurgery therefore i don't do it he said but i'm trained to this so yeah. anyway uh but yeah so cautionary tale uh I, i'm i'm learning in real time about this and i want to be really invested so that i can support meg and just be an active participant and i think that you felt the exact same way in being present and engaged uh, uh with your lovely wife and um uh and, and, I, and i know you were um but you know what i mean so like with that being congruent with who we are I've, I, I just can't help but like learn about this stuff because I want to know and I want to, the last thing I want is for my lovely wife to feel like she's on an island. Um, men out there, you don't have to sit around and watch, you know, silly girly TV shows to connect with your wife. But in moments of need and stress, it's times like this where you can step up to the plate a little bit and just be present. And just be engaged. Like I went to, they don't call it Lamaz anymore, but our doula taught some, you know, classes on how we can help uh, with the actual, you know, process of birth, right? And I thought it was fascinating. I'm sure you felt the same way, Kale. Um, but like just another little way, like I'm doing 0.0001% of the work, if even that, right? <laughs> like I'm not, I'm not really doing anything here. I'm more, I, I'm much more of a spectator than a participant. Yet I can do small things. Sometimes they're only gestures that can help uh, uh, Meg feel not alone, not not as stressed. Can help her focus on you know in good ways and focus on her body and all this other stuff. So, um, yeah, I mean it's not it's not complicated. It's just not necessarily easy. Yeah, you know? I straight up smuggled food in for Jade, which was pretty much probably my my yeah. biggest and best contribution. Like, hey, you're going to go through this super uh, arduous, very physically demanding experience, and this could last hours, if not days. Like, you could certainly surpass the 24-hour mark, and uh, what we're going to do is we're going to give you ice chips um, on the off chance that we have to give you the C-section that we really would rather do to begin with anyways. Yeah. Yeah. And then they turn those hospital lights up nice and bright, and it feels very sterile, and you get all these strangers coming into your room all the time, and it's just like little stuff that you can do. And I know that you you are that's just who you are, but little stuff that you and I can do to cause our our wife to to just make it a little easier. Like you said, like I don't even understand. Like it just seems like it's impossible. It's a miracle, but it also seems impossible. Like, yeah. are you sure you're not gonna like? Like, are you gonna be okay? <laughs> yeah, it's a crazy thing. Um, like I've seen aliens. We, uh, Meg and I joke. It was like these two little chest bursters inside of her because they'll like move and like you'll see like an elbow poking out of the side of her stomach or something. Yeah, it's pretty trippy. Um, it's pretty awesome. I think it's awesome. Yeah. So, um, well, it's got to be yeah. where you know, like having a kid's daunting enough. I, I imagine you know, twins uh, even more so on the horizon. So it's got to be a bit of a relief to you having these two kids coming, knowing that you're not going to have to worry a lick about saving for college for them because why, why in the world would you go to college and get a degree right now to graduate and by and large, not exclusively, but by and large be fighting 
to start somewhere at forty-seven, fifty, fifty-five thousand dollars a year, when yeah. you can walk off the stage at your high school graduation to your local UPS distribution center and start down the path to $170,000 a year with no student debt. Yeah. You know, um, there are sheriffs in, uh, in of large metropolitan areas in Florida that don't make that. Now, and I'll they're say, in charge of millions of people. <laughs> Their safety and, and whatever, right? Like, and, they, and I 100% know that they don't yeah. know that. <laughs> now, I'll, I'll say, uh, I'll say, and because we believe in intellectual honesty here at the Solid 7 Podcast, um, that's, that's, that is total compensation. That doesn't make it much better. But again, if you haven't ever employed people and you haven't ever really looked into what goes into paying employees – you think that what you make is what you cost your employer and you cost your employer much more than what they pay you. So if you think, oh, I make $50,000 a year, you likely cost your employer 70 or more uh, when they've paid for their share of your income tax and once they've paid for your benefits and everything else. So evidently around $50,000 a year of this 170000 is in is in benefits so it is total compensation so it's paying for health care and you know all those sorts of things which again yeah. makes it a little bit better a little bit better um, yeah, but, but that, that, that still puts what is that the top one percent of all income earners in the u.s it's near that right uh i saw a bar graph and it was hard to read on my phone but it was it's close to that like definitely top five percent of all income earners in the country and thus basically in the world right and um, think about the amount of of product these days on average that you're not going out and getting that is arriving to your home. Now, the bulk of that um, is Amazon, um, which has taken over much of their own shipping, but not exclusively. Nope. Um, nope. And then a lot isn't. And, you know, a lot of that falls on UPS. Who do you think is paying these increased salaries? Uh, do you do you think they sat in a boardroom trying to figure out where they could trim or or taking cuts in the C suite to cover this? That's not what's going on. Your your no. packages, your deliveries just got more expensive. Yeah, they. I mean, they, the rates are going to have to shipping rates. So when you go to your UPS store to ship something, yeah, those are that's going to have to go up and and cost. Um, it makes me wonder if they've got like some contract that they haven't announced yet or something like that. You know. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't be shocked to hear something big. Like, for example, like we get to put stuff in your mailboxes now, which right now the, uh, uh, the postal service has a monopoly on that, uh, by law. Uh, they're the only ones that are entrusted to have access to our mailboxes. So to pick up or deliver. So when your lawn person, for example, puts your invoice in your mailbox, a little bit of a federal crime, just a little bit. Um, so, but but uh, but in, in seriousness, I would expect something big like that. I don't know what they're going to announce, but I mean, otherwise, they're going to immediately be significantly less competitive compared to FedEx. This brings DHL. DHL is not nearly as big in the U.S. We're huge in Europe, um, and um, you know, I you know, there there are a couple other startup companies. Amazon is building out their own logistics network, and they are. I mean, literally building freight terminals. They're buying their own airplanes. 
they essentially have their own freight airline, basically. Yeah. I mean, they have 787s, 737s, 757s, 767s. Um, well, and they're, I, you know, not to mention their massive contract with Rivian for their custom delivery vehicles. Yeah, which if you have not gotten your Rivian yet, that might have something to do with Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, the Amazon vans look really cool. It's really neat to see them. Um, uh, I'm I'm really interested to see. I'm hoping they release some of that some of that data on, in terms of battery life, battery efficiency, overall efficiency, range. Um, how range is affected by different climatic conditions, yeah. you know, you know, heat or the summer now, cold, humidity, you know, driving in the rain versus not that actually has a, a mileage penalty in any car. So I'm excited about that. But yeah, they're, they're uh, Rivian is uh, partnering with them and not just their delivery vehicles, but also some infrastructure in their warehouses. I'll so Rivian. I'll tell you this. I don't. I didn't commit the particulars to memory. You're the type of person that, if you had read about it, would have, and maybe you have read about it. But there was reporting out this week of Pepsi and their fleet of Tesla semis that they're using now. I think they've got around 21 of the Tesla semis that they're mm-hmm. using at a, a in a particular region for delivery. And uh, man, it's been a boon to them. They're killing the game. They're thrilled with the performance. Now, how much that's dependent upon being deployed by a company that has perfected logistics, like really has some chops with logistics, or if the Tesla Semi just makes things that that easy, um, it's it's hard to say. Of course, any type of business that's going to be deploying any significant fleet of these things is going to be well versed in logistics and logistical efficiencies, you would think. Yeah. Um, so uh, there's it's definitely that potential there. It, it, you know, it's interesting. I, I, I want to see some of the bigger trucking companies, ABF Freight, Ryder, Penske. Uh, Ryder and Penske both have significant leasing operations in terms of leasing tractor, both tractor and trailer and just tractors to, to pull other people's trailers around. Uh, to construction companies, delivery companies, uh, regional providers, stuff like that. So that's kind of where the big numbers are. I don't know if Tesla has gotten their price structure so that they're competitive in that space, but I would really love to see that. Like it's look right now, the Tesla Semi is V1, right? It's version one. Anytime you buy a new technology, whether look first iPhone, uh, you know I'm big into audio. So you buy some emergent technology or some relatively esoteric piece of equipment that's experimenting with new stuff. If it, even if it works really really well, V2 is generally going to do it better and or cheaper at the same time. Uh, it's certainly going to do it better for the same price, uh, and it usually does it better for less, right? Because they get they find out ways to employ economies of scale, streamlining processes. They probably overbuilt parts of it that don't need to be overbuilt. Um, so I'm, I'm really interested to see Tesla propagate this first version of their of their semi out and then see them tweak it. And because and, well, and, uh, you know they will. Like they never rest in their laurels. Well, but that's, uh, what's so, good enough. that's what's so neat and different about the this industry. And when we've already seen this to a great degree – uh, with Tesla's consumer vehicles, um, you know, with their SUVs and with their with their cars, is that, and I would assume this would be true of something like the vans that that Rivian is uh, building Amazon as well. But no longer, like when you buy a car or when you buy that diesel tractor trailer, your stats are your stats, your efficiencies are your efficiencies, 
it is what it is. You can make little tweaks here and there uh, to affect things, you know, like miles per gallon performance and those types of things, but you're not going to make massive gains. Whereas no longer in this world of Tesla and, and Rivian and, you know, we'll see how some of the legacy automakers uh, right now, they're not doing hot. They're sitting on inventory and it ain't moving. Um, we'll see how they play catch up. But no longer do you have to wait for new hardware to see significant improvements uh, in functionality and efficiencies in your vehicle. I mean, you go, you, you, you park and go to bed one night and wake up and you've got a better vehicle the next morning because of the OTA update that went to your car. Um, yeah, I mean, part of that is electric vehicles. So much of what they do and how they do it is controlled by software. <clears throat> Whereas in a regular vehicle, it's going to generally either be completely sussed out prior to that, um, uh, you know, prior to, to actually customer release. Or, I mean, there's not like, you know, if if you could change a bunch of stuff via software, the aftermarket tuning crowd for, for internal combustion engines would not be nearly as lively as it has been for the last, I don't know, almost 100 years. <laughs> so, you know what I mean? So there there's... There's the ability to tweak. There's the ability to refine, like you said, via the over-the-air updates. And there's also, like, Tesla, they're not just disrupting, uh, and not to use that word lightly, but they're not just disrupting the, you know, cars in terms of bringing electric vehicles, forcing major manufacturers like Audi, Porsche, Mercedes-Benz, BMW, you know, Nissan Infinity, et cetera, et cetera, Hyundai, right, Kia, to bring out, and a lot of, and a lot of the U.S. manufacturers too, to forcing them to play on the EV field. They're, they haven't just drawn them into that, but they're also disrupting a model that I really don't like, which is the dealer model, because what you find time and time again over the last three years, if any of you have looked at the a price of a new car, you go to Motor Trend and you say, "Hey, I want to read a car review." So you read a car review and say, I might want to buy that car. So the car review says a car costs X. You go to a dealer and they have a markup. What? <laughs> so they literally have an arbitrary number that the dealer says, yeah, I'm just going to tack, uh, tack this on top of your, uh, your car. Suddenly, you know, <laughs> surprise, it costs more. For no reason. There's no additional value. It's just a market. It started with special models and performance models. Like if you wanted an F-150, you know, Raptor, uh, right? You know, you wanted a Hellcat. You wanted a Porsche GT3 RSR. Now it's trickling down to much more mundane models. Like if you want a Toyota 4Runner markup, and we're talking 5, 10, I've seen 22 grand in Texas yeah. on a sticker with my own eyes. Just add it on to the price of an already $48,000 vehicle. Well, the, the thing is, people don't realize that by and large, these dealerships are independently run and owned. They might be part of an ownership group of their own, but they're not, mm -hmm. they're not owned and operated by the manufacturers. And you, you go to these dealerships now, and they're, they're Taj Mahals, mm -hmm. they're m massive staff. Ma you know, there's, there's very few like nice, like not sketchy, small town auto dealers anymore. And at least not in this part of the country that I've seen. And so you go in and they've got all this staff, they've got all this infrastructure and they got to cover their nut on all of that stuff. They've paid some hauling company to deliver to you. Yeah, uh, they do. But the margin, the points they have in a standard vehicle, I mean, they're making a lot of money. They're certainly doing better than Best Buy on electronics. 
and right, music. but but you look but, at they they've also got far more money tied up in inventory sitting on the shelf too. So it's like at any given time they're you know they're playing this this cash flow balance. So I, I'm not arguing for the superiority of that system, but it is in this day and age what Tesla's proving is that it is no longer necessary. We you I, well, it's not necessary, and I, I look is it are these nice to have? Yeah, sure. That's nice to have a service department to drive to. Now, Tesla would dispatch people to you, you know, to handle certain things. Tesla's also had some misses when it comes to service and customer service and the way they handle that stuff. They're getting better, but but it's nice to just have a place. I can go, here's the Rome for my vehicle. I bought a Ford. I'm going to go to the Ford dealership. I'm going to go where I bought it, and they're going to fix my problem, right? The, the, the issue is that on top of these dealers already making a very sweet uh, cut. Right, they're they're. I mean, they're almost software developers. They're making a lot of money. Any dealership that is older than five years, the property itself is completely paid for. Any dealership, right? So, like, they don't even have to cover that. Like, they're just covering like property tax <laughs> and, and 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 utilities. Um, so, which is why anytime you see a refresh, like a redesign of a dealership or anything like that, however old it is, you can guarantee that it's literally been paid for. Yeah. As long as they don't change brands, right? You know, that's a transaction, but you know, it's been paid for. And how many dealerships do that uh, on a, you know, five, 10 year rotation? So, so they're making a good amount of money and the gouging is just putting a bad taste in customer's mouth because there's no value added, right? You know, Toyota, for example, says, Hey, well, you know, forerunner costs, you know, let's just say 48 grand, whatever for this particular model, this, these options, whatever, this is what it costs. You go to the Toyota website, it says that's what it costs. You go to a dealer over here. They say 56. Uh, but you could buy it tomorrow. Dealer over here says 52, but there's a wait list. And dealer, so it's just games yeah. all over the place. And what they're finding out is that Tesla's model uh, of sales is that just the price is the price, right? Yes. And Tesla actually does real-time price tracking, um, and uh, and but they don't have any massive fluctuations, and there's no games, right? Uh-huh. You go to buy a Tesla, you know exactly to the penny what you're going to pay for. Yeah. Well, like, like the, and, the, and, and if dealerships did that, Tesla would actually have a much harder time, but they're not. So they're actually no. sending people who might not even buy electric just because they're tired yeah. of the games. Well, and they're, they're too, in, they're too entrenched. They're too, they're too big and they're too slow to, yeah. to pivot. Some of them might be able to make the move, but what's annoying is where, and, uh, as with most things, economic, uh, hashtag, there's actually a great Tuttle Twins episode about this. But the problem is the, the protectionism baked into the law in some states where mm-hmm. you can't sell direct to consumer. Tesla cannot, without a middleman between you and them, sell you a vehicle by law in that state. Ironically, in the state you're sitting in right now, which adores mm-hmm. Elon Musk, who's bringing tons of industry into the state of Texas. And that man can't sell his cars to people in Texas. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, Toyota and Lexus are actually headquartered here as well. So Toyota's North American headquarters and Lexus's, they're not that far from me. Um, and, yeah, same. Like, you know, Tesla's down in, in the Austin area. Uh, but, yeah, same. Like, they, you can't tell me that they would love to um, – that they wouldn't love to at least experiment with cutting out the middleman. Yeah, and, um, and what we're especially talking about, Lexus is like yeah. a luxury brand. Yeah, and what we're talking um, about here is there there's state law in Texas and in other states that mm-hmm. the the vehicles must cycle through a dealer, and it's just it's just protectionism. It's it's effective lobbying. It's effective donations, and yeah. that that dealership model is protected 
by the law in that state. It's protected from being disrupted by better business practice, by superior it's business practice. Like, it's ridiculous. Uh, the law in Oregon that just sunsetted where you can't pump your own gas. Yes. And all these people in Oregon who don't know how to pump their own gas have to pump their own gas because now they have to. Now, <laughs> but, you know, Oregon and New Jersey are the two good examples there, right? So is, know, that, is, that where, is that where Mike Pence is from? Is that why he didn't know how to pump gas in that campaign video they released? I don't know. I think there's a minimum amount that you make an income where you just don't know how to do simple things like that. Like you could brush your teeth and get dressed, but like if you had to pull out like a drill and maybe reseat one of the screws in your front door, cause it's stripped out and you need to put a deeper one in the, you know, in the frame, uh, he's done how to do stuff like that. Tell me, tell me you've seen <laughs> this. Tell me you've seen this video oh, out of the Pence campaign. It's so, unbearable. Listeners, if you haven't seen this, uh, a, a quick uh, you know search engine uh, will will solve it for you. But it's allow me to paint the picture for you. Allow me to set the scene. And so you've got Mike Pence, um, who's just this. I mean, he's so boring. He's so dry. He's so. I he, I'm sure maybe he's a nice guy. I, I you know whatever. Uh, but he's just got such a stick up his butt to begin with. So they've got him hopping out of this red pickup truck because don't you know Mike Pence drives around in a, a red pickup truck? Uh, you know, him and Beto both. And, uh, yeah, right. So this truck's already... You mean par- Robert Francis O'Rourke? <laughs> yes. Because so nobody in his entire life ever called him Beto for so, them. Uh, <laughs> People, Friends in college are like, you mean Robbie? Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, that guy. So this truck's already sitting at a gas pump at a gas station. Pence slides slides out of the driver's seat and grabs the the pump handle off the gas pump and turns around to insert it into um the the truck where the the door for for the gas is already open. Now I'll grant you May, maybe this was a model where you you pop the little thing and it pops out for you. So I'll grant you that. I don't think that's what, what was going on. I think they left it open, probably from a previous take. Um, yeah. But does he uh, does he insert a card? Nope. Does he does he Apple Pay or whatever Google calls their crap because we all know it's inferior? Um, no, he doesn't do any of those things. <laughs> Somehow, he magically just starts pumping. And you can't even, like, I know, uh, um, like, Wawa and I know mobile, you can use their apps and you can pay in the app and activate the pump from the app, but you still got to select your tier of gasoline. The man made no payments. He pushed no buttons. And that's when we all realized, oh, this dude does know how to pump gas. It's been a minute. Yeah. It's been <laughs> a minute. Oi. And on... Yeah, it's. On the opposite I, side of the coin, and I don't know how much, if at all, I've talked about him on the podcast yet at this point, and I don't know where you're at on him, but dude, Vivek Ramaswamy, he's he's wooing me. He's he's pushing all the right buttons. He's on his way to being my new favorite band, right? Like he got that. He's a one hit wonder right now. Or he let he he ripped that song and I'm like oh, that's my jam, and I think he might be releasing an album. Like he just he's he I, I and you know, tell me if this is what does it for you, Kale? Because it's not just policy stances. You know, I, you know there are several people that are completely un- incapable of being elected to public office. Like they're smart and they're morally, uh, uh, you know, upright and all this stuff. And I you know and I would have confidence they make the right moves and they're and they're just boring. 
um, seeing him in now multiple interviews uh, across, you know, you know, in hostile environments and friendly environments and neutral environments, just seeing him like think on his feet and um, and like not hit the points. Right. He's just he's talking extemporaneously, not rehearsed. But he's doing it intelligently and explaining why he thinks or believes a thing and coming and but making good points, but also showing that he's not like being Mr. Robot, like I'm reading from a cue card, like it's and responding to questions. And, and then, uh, you know, somebody asks him something and I appreciate sometimes he'll just like stop and think for a second. Right. Like he's organically just trying to figure that out Dude. you know and 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 and, and, he, and he's also not been afraid to say i'm not real sure i'm gonna have to look into that he's uh, i mean I like <laughs> and let i mean this shouldn't be your your primary deciding factor in selecting anyone for any office however in our current political climate uh certainly at the federal level he's young <laughs> he's young well, yeah he's good looking he's accomplished He's a family man. And then, yes, to hear him speak like the dude's got straight up X factor. He's he's compelling. He's a phenomenal orator. He'll he'll riff. You mentioned it. He's off book and not in a way that most presidential candidates are off book. The These candidates, yeah. they get drilled into them very early on if they're serious candidates and if their team is good. They get their stump speech down. Very, very tight, like a top tier oh, yeah. comedian tight, like from city to city, every pause, every beat, every hand motion is the same. And they 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 drill that into them and then they break that into pieces. And those pieces are what become the sound bites. And in most interviews, that's what you get. You get the pieces of the stump speech. You get the sound bites. And mm -hmm. so he's off book yes he's he's speaking extemporaneously it's it's all off the top of his head there's no crib sheets there's no note cards to know who to call on or to know which side of the stage to exit refreshing um but he will long form and and this holds up like it's not just these tv interviews that are best a few minutes He's sitting down on long form podcasts he's sitting down in long form spaces on x and taking all comers like come with yeah. your come with yeah. your questions and it's that he has the second and third answers and here's what i mean it's there are any number of in the republican primary there's any number of candidates right now that will on the stump or in in a an interview tell you i plan to eliminate x y and z uh, administrative agencies, executive agencies, rather that's the FBI, the IRS, the Department of Education. The the list yeah. differs, but only slightly. Stuff. But Ramaswamy goes, I'm going to eliminate the FBI, the Department of Education. I'm going to greatly scale back the the Fed. And then he goes, and here's how I'm going to do it. And proceeds yeah. to break down the specific executive administrative plan and process for how he's going to do it. Mm -hmm. It's, it's so refreshing. It's so different. It's not political. And God bless you, Ronald Reagan. He's a happy warrior. He's not out there talking smack. 
He's not out there talking about what he's against. He's out there talking about what he's for. He's inspirational. He's not being divisive, not even within the the Republican Party or or people who may lean right. Like he's just he's broadly not divisive. It, it's well, and he's not rude. And um, you know anybody who has watched Bill Buckley go up against Gore Vidal or. Um, any number of, I'll call them vintage, but, you know, classical debate uh, uh, videos, whether they're from television shows, whether they're from, you know, actual long-form debates that were televised. Um, I don't think it's a stretch for, for any of us uh, to say that, like, look, like Trump has some qualities about him that have been beneficial and then some, and then you might be able to say are good. One of his bad ones is being really rude and classless sometimes. Sometimes you need a bulldog and you need to come out fighting and swinging, but I find him to be needlessly, unnecessarily, and I'm not talking about some thin skin stuff. Like sometimes he just needs to shut up. Like I just, I'm not interested, even if he's right, I'm not interested in having him sow discord and whatever. There are plenty of divisive issues that need to be discussed and could unfortunately result in that. I don't need him like calling some reporter, a female reporter, a cow. Uh, I, I just, I really don't like that. And I, and I know, you know, now also, uh, that's not going to force me to vote for somebody like Joe Biden, um, who, who anybody who was paying attention knew was deeply corrupt in the Obama administration. Well, let me let me, let me, put, let me put this out there to you. Now, I'll, I'll say for the listeners, uh, Colin's an extreme individual. Um, Colin is somewhere on the, the spectrum uh, between, I'd say, like uh, me – and uh, and Alex Jones. Now I'll leave it to you to decide <laughs> where he he falls on that spectrum. And Colin's tendencies are a little more towards particular absolutes than mine are. This is no judgment. This is just letting you you know kind of where where Colin falls as you get to know him. And, but so I'm interested to hear your take. And so because I I think we discussed some of this a little bit uh, with Chris Arroyo on last week's episode. But to me, yeah, it's um, you know I don't know who my primary vote's going to right now. It's not going to Trump. Um, that said, if the general election, if it's, uh, if it's Biden and Trump, my, my vote's going to Trump to me, that math gets really, really fuzzy. If the general election were RFK jr. And Trump. Oh yeah. Same agreed. Yeah, no, I, I'm a, right. That's a tough one, right? No, it is. Briefly touching. You did a great job of, of kind of summing me up. Like I'm a big civil union guy. I have my own personal thoughts on marriage. I don't think that the government needs to be in the business of regulating it. So the conservative Christians really missed that boat. And when they could have taken a voluntary step back, force of government to to uh, benefits aside to, to push that idea of traditional marriage, which I happen to subscribe to, they could have taken a step back and they put a hand to the mantle over and said, we're just going to make it a civil union. If you're a consenting adult, you can get married. Done. Uh, I think uh, weed should be legalized and not just legalized, like decriminalized, right? No, not every drug, but yeah. So there, there, uh, there's not a box that I fit into. I tend to think that nobody fits into a box really if you, if you got them in private and they were honest. I don't like to think of people like that. But yeah, the, it, you know, in terms of primary vote, it's like trust. You got to earn it. So somebody's going to earn my vote. 
um, Vivek's a front runner right now. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't like, you know, elections are binary. Uh, you know, if you're going to force me to vote for uh, Joe Biden, um, uh, if, if you're wondering whether I'm going to do that or not, you should go read his daughter's diary. That's now been confirmed. Just go read that. And and, uh, and I was on the child abduction response task force and I fought against child abusers and put many of them in prison. They're going to die there. Um that's how I feel about that, and it, it's not negotiable. It's um, so, and, and anybody who's willing to pull the lever for him, so controversial hot take, if you're willing to pull the lever for that guy, uh, somebody who abuses kids and women, that's not a deal breaker for you. I, I can – Sorry. I can, I <laughs> can not, understand. And, and he's – you know, to the – Trump's been disgusting with women, but there hasn't been a single credible report of him forcing himself on a woman. Um, billionaires don't generally have to do that. Um, but uh, but there's been no credible proof of that. There are multiple credible accounts with contemporaneous police reports that Biden has done that going back into the 70s. I, I just I, I really don't I, I can't understand. I, I really can somebody voting Democrat. Um, sure. I, I can see how you get there. Um, you know, my dad, Colin knows this actually and knew my dad before he passed, went round and round with my dad who could hold his own with just about anybody, um, on political yeah, issues. He, he was a staunch Democrat and, and, and mm-hmm. dad was incredibly intelligent. Um, mm-hmm. I just, I don't understand like that Joe Biden is where, where they landed. It's who the party wanted. Cause if it wasn't, it would have been Bernie. Um, mm-hmm. their, their, their party, you know, completely shafted Bernie and, but it's just, like his baggage, he was a complete known quantity in just his no. Well, he was Obama's impeachment insurance uh, for, for the entirety of his two terms, and everyone knew it. Um, but like the, the incidences I, of plagiarism, like the, it's just fact. It's just yeah. – it's known, uh, proven fact. I, I, there, there's just so many things. Forget everything that's there's going that on audio now. There's recording with, of him back in the 70s talking to a group of fundraisers, uh, I believe in Delaware. Um uh, and it's a long form audio recording. It's still on the internet. You have to search for it because if it were Trump, it'd be everywhere. But you know, it's Joe. So, and I'm not defending Trump. I'm saying there's an asymmetry in how candidates on the right are covered versus candidates on the left. Trump is basically Bill Clinton uh, with a potty mouth in public. It's yeah. Bill Clinton with Twitter and a drink. That's what Trump is. He's no different. We were told it's the economy stupid with Bill Clinton, and then with Trump, he's the you know devil incarnate, and then the exact same person. Um, I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to hear. I don't. I don't like either of them. Actually, yeah, uh, but I, I don't I don't get lectured about Trump. If you if you're not over here going on diatribes about how Bill Clinton used to joke about having AstroTurf in the back of his van and there's credible witness testimony from the Arkansas State Troopers. I've met one of them uh, who would stand outside of his room while he would beat up hookers, like literally beat them, like beat them like Chris Brown beat Rihanna. And then they would pay them off and uh, give them a couple grand and death threat them and say, hey, let's you tell anybody we're going to kill you. Well, and so, so like, so like, and these are this is in like books. This has gone back. This is investigated by multiple different people. Issue of Arkansas aside, which Trump doesn't have that legacy. So I don't like either of them. But if you go with Joe, way back when th- this speech, um, and I'll finish with this. Uh, he actually he says in the speech he doesn't want his. He's talking about the integration of schools and the busing of children, uh, busing of black children from these decimated inner cities that the Democrats had controlled for about twenty years at that point. Uh, policy-wise, 
the busing of poor black children to better schools in the suburbs, right? Because there was an asymmetry of school funding at that point in time. Uh, and a lot of places there still is. And he said he didn't want it to happen because, quote, he didn't want his kids to grow up in a racial jungle, unquote. Done. It, it's, Done. I have nothing in common with somebody who says stuff like that. In the meantime, you have like Snoop and Dr. Dre and all these other people who uh, were inviting Trump to their parties and all this other stuff. So like he's a lot of things, but he's all he's not a racist, though. You mean he pulled the entire hip hop community for 20 years? It's, no, he didn't. It's funny. They're though, not that gullible. I mean, the thing is, Colin, you just don't even have to go. You don't even have to go back that far. And I will, yeah. I will pause just a yeah, moment. Tara Reed. To, yeah, Google I, Tara Reed. I'll pause just a <laughs> moment. Yeah, I'll pause just a moment to thank you, just because I wasn't sure I point, I painted a, a, a vibrant enough picture for the listeners when I was describing <laughs> you as falling between me and Alex Jones. And I think you've just done such a phenomenal job of illustrating it on your own that I think that anybody was like, "What does he mean by that?" I think they all understand. Uh, now, but what's and don't think I like Bush either. What's been so, so, dis- so right? So what's a, been so uh, yeah, disgusting so. to me? Um, and maybe later we can get your take on if the water's turning the frogs gay. But um, <laughs> but what's what's been so disgusting with me? Just again, like refreshed and renewed, is this past week in con- congressional hearings, they had family members of the service members who were killed at Abbey Gate during our botched withdrawal from Afghanistan. And the stories that they were relaying, the one that really stood out is this mother of a, a, this gold star mom, this mother of this fallen soldier, who's relaying that as President Biden's meeting with her and speaking with her, he's telling her that he knows how she feels because his son Bo died and came home in a flag draped coffin too. And the woman even says, in the moment, she says, in the moment, I couldn't hardly contain myself because I knew as he was saying it that it wasn't true, that he died of cancer, and that his parents were able to be bedside with him, and that it has it has nothing in common with the loss of my child. And you know, and then you top that up so that there there's numerous stories of this of these just disgusting interactions from these parents after losing the, their children in, in just a, if you don't think it was preventable, if you, if you, if you think it was any way excusable, if you think it was inevitable, then I'd encourage you to go and yeah, I'm the podcaster that's going to point you to somebody else's podcast mm-hmm. because Sean Ryan's making some incredibly important content that you need to hear in his episode, so his episode that's out Right now, the Sean Ryan Show, episode 68, it's with a Marine named Tyler Vargas who was at Abbey Gate during that withdrawal who lost his arm, and he relays in that. Like, they had ID'd the suicide bomber in this crowd and weren't yeah. permitted to engage. Yeah, they knew who he was. So, no, First of all, you need to subscribe to the Sean Ryan podcast because it's just really good. After, um, I mean, uh, us first, yeah. us first. Subscribe here first, first but then, first. But th- but then, then yes, yes. <laughs> no, but you're right. Like, there's no excuse. Like, there was no, you know, you could say rules of engagement, but you knew that he was there. There was credible intel that he, I mean, they could see that he had uh, uh, various devices on and about him. Um, they could, yeah, there was no, there was no ambiguity about it. Um, look, and here's the deal. I'll get, Obama was a narcissistic and divisive. And I, in my personal opinion, a generally horrible president. And Obama was the first celebrity president. Um, um, the, uh, the media, 
uh, uh, bent the knee to him. Uh, I don't. Every I don't day. know, yeah, man. There's some weird messiah complex. I don't, However, we were we were we were tiny, but even as small as I was, as young as I was, I remember the way Ronald Reagan was perceived in this country. I re- and when I say I remember it, yeah. uh, Ronald Reagan was uh, a resident of Illinois, and I remember which is where when I was when I was little uh, up through '86, I, I was born in Illinois in '80 and lived there. Um, and I remember, it's one of my earliest memories. I remember being at a parade that he was going to be in and the, just the buzz and the electricity and it was freezing cold. It was so cold that I was crying as a child. Um, and I distinctly remember my parents telling me I had to stop crying or the secret service was going to arrest me. Um, which neither, it's just solid eighties parenting. There's nothing wrong with that. Let's bring it back. Um, yeah. But uh, but I just remember like the reverence for him, the respect for him, the energy, the excitement over seeing him, um, and so I, I think I think Reagan had that. I mean, what did what did he carry in uh, in the second election? Forty eight states or something like. I mean, just ridiculous. Yeah. <clears throat> um, but but certainly in the he bo- had some bad people. Yeah. He he brought some bad people in his his uh, into his administration that made some not great decisions. The Iran Contra scandal. You know, a lot of people make a huge deal about it. It wasn't great, but you know, Congress essentially set that up. Uh, they they had approved uh, that activity for years, uh, explicitly. They were aware of it, and they had they had stamped it and funded it. And then I I don't know why they did it. Uh, there are some geopolitical reasons. There are official reasons they say why they did it, but I think it might have been a, a way to set Reagan up. But then they stopped it, and there were people like a. Uh, um, Oliver North and, and others in the uh, administration that, that kept that operation going after the Democrats had defunded it and essentially made it illegal. Uh, they pivoted. Um, what the Democrats did would have resulted in the wholesale massacre of uh, many people involved in that, uh, uh, their Iran-Contra scandal. Um, but even with that, Reagan was still a well-liked president. Um, he had lunch with Skip. I mean, you know, he, you know, he, he worked with everybody. He, he, he maintained relationships around DC. So I mean, anyway, briefly back to Obama. So despite those things about him that are, that are absolutely negative and I don't like, uh, when extortion 17, uh, got shot down, he, and this is per one of the seals that was president. I want to say it was Eddie Penny. I'm not sure. Um, uh, Obama sat there in contradiction with Joe who kept checking his watch uh, as some of these people were coming back off the plane, getting their, their bodies were getting unloaded. Obama apparently stood there uh, for like 45 plus minutes in a stone cold, very crisp salute. Just didn't move at all. Like, like he almost, he was in the service or something saluting everyone there while, until every single body had been unloaded. Yeah. And and mad respect for that. Mad respect for that. The gesture that that means to those families. And he just sat there like literally. I mean, these seals were straight up like like any Tomb of the Unknown soldier uh, uh, guard. He just like a like a just a just a stone faced monolith. Uh, so to Obama's great credit, uh, that was deeply respectful and appropriate and needed uh, at that time. Yeah. Um, and I- now Reagan kind of lived that. Oh, every day that wasn't that was that wasn't the exception that was a rule for him but uh still uh you know you know good for a ball you know so you got to call the balls and strikes right you know so good good 
good for Obama. That yeah. was that was a really that was a wonderful thing. But it's I, you know what I'm getting at here is it's just like and and same thing with Trump. I mean, same thing with most of the the general uh, tickets. You know, the nominees that we we've had to choose from in general elections for for president. I'm just like. You know, 250 million, then, you know, 275, 300, now 320, 325-ish million people in the country. We're just, Mm -hmm. we're not getting down to the two best we have to offer. It's just not yeah. like we'd it, we'd be better off to do this thing like the like use the format of the voice. I think would give us better candidates, right? Yeah, and so, I mean, but, and if you even look at the will of the individual parties, even though there's significant misalignment between what they want in terms of outcomes, look at how in 2016 they literally cheated. Like Donna Brazil got caught literally defrauding Bernie Sanders. And, and, and giving Hillary the uh, the nomination yeah. for the Democrats in 2016. <laughs> I actually think that Bernie uh, would have had a, had a very high likelihood of beating Trump because Hillary was so unlikable. Yeah. Um, I, I so just I think don't. There's a solid. If we war gamed that, I would be very interested to see what those calculations and, and, and what those simulations would indicate. But I think that he would have had a really good shot. Now, I'm not a, I'm not a fan of Bernie. But I, I at least have respect that he's not a Hillary Clinton. She's you know not a super great candidate. I just I guess um, my thing with that just baffles me with Joe and, and and where I was going with this was just of all the bad candidates we've had on both sides, where you're you just feel like you're voting for the lesser of two evils, and it's just uh, you yeah. know outside of a a, a prime a presidential primary, I, you know I, I think my first I think I talked about last week. I think my my first presidential election vote would have been two thousand. But outside of the primaries, I've never gotten to be excited to vote for somebody. Um, But all that to say, like of all the people, though, like Democrats explain this to me of all the I I, I get general election. okay, I I, I get. But in the in the primary, I just don't understand a candidate with such well-known, well-documented negatives that are that are that are moral failures. Yeah. And I guess like he won't they, even recognize his own grandkids. They could come at us, I, I guess, with the same. And, and I guess I was in the same place on on Trump um, mm-hmm. is I 100 percent. I agree. He's got moral shortcomings. So that's why I didn't vote for him in 2016. I didn't think mm-hmm. he rose to the level of the office. Um, I didn't like the idea of him holding the same office as Washington and Jefferson and Adams. I, it just didn't do it for me. But I, I just like sticking with Joe. Joe's my guy. I, I just can't wrap my head around it. Now I will say this: regardless of who wins, uh, it, at the end of it, I do hope they'll do something to clarify, if not improve, copyright law. And I'm going to tell you why, Colin listeners. I've the Solid Seven podcast has had a week on on X, formerly known as Twitter. Uh, I've been talking about here on the podcast how how much I've enjoyed X since Elon took it back over. Well, took it back over, took it over in general. The changes they've been making. I've been a longtime user. I've been a fan of it for a long time, and it's better now than it's ever been, um, or certainly than it's been in a long time. From just an engagement and usability, and um, just you know value for minutes spent on it. And, uh, you know, so I've been trying well-documented here on the podcast. I've focused much more of my attention uh, for the podcast in the social media realm on X than, say, Instagram. And 
this week, a few things just started to hit. I, I'd had a few posts. Now we're talking. Now I get it. In the grand scheme of social media, we're talking small numbers here. But like when I started making this push, there were there were eleven followers on the podcast, then Twitter account. Because I just I wasn't it wasn't active. I, I had I had the account, but I wasn't really posting to it uh, yeah. anything like that. So I, I started to to make that push, and it's kind of grown. And I've tried to post more, and I've tried to be active on there. And a few things just kind of hit this week. And the first thing was uh, I I posted the clip of Megan Rapino missing her PK, uh, you know, at the at the World Cup that ultimately got the U.S. national the U.S. women's national team eliminated, earliest elimination they've ever had from the World Cup tournament uh, in the round of sixteen. Yeah. And uh, I made the very factual comment, as any number of sports commentators were, that the women, that they were eliminated on that missed PK. And then I made the more, then I made the more pundity comment that um, it appeared that perhaps perfecting her craft hasn't been her highest priority lately. Those were my two comments. They were eliminated based on this missed PK. Uh, it's a team sport. Uh, everybody lost at, at any point. They could have scored during that match, not been in PKs. So it's not all on Megan, but her missed PK. It was the final nail in the coffin. And it was commentary really on, yeah. on the, the whole team did, you know, uh, under <clears throat> underperformed really. Um, she has made multiple comments about pay disparities between women and men and and uh, you know for you know in sports and uh, also broader more, more broadly in in society in general and she's made some assumptions about those and um michael jordan scored like 60 points or something when he had the flu in the nba finals yeah. i don't care so <laughs> i just don't so, care I, but i'm, you know, I'm not looking to be... i i'm not looking to sidetrack on megan though the point was like for for me, for an account my size on X, that post mm-hmm. took on a little bit of a life its own. I start mm-hmm. to see it gain in numbers. I, 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 the numbers start picking up, and I see them growing and growing and growing. I start to see more comments. And then next thing I know, like somebody's like taking that link and posting it to an answer to like a question from Sports Center. And then, and I'm not going to do him the favor of of naming him here. A very prolific and potty mouthed C list celebrity. If I named him, you'd know him. You've seen him in all kinds of things. Tends to be a character actor uh, with a supporting role in series. Uh, he's commenting on it again with a lot of unnecessary adult language. Um, I must say, I'm like, oh, okay. Well, this, this thing's getting some smoke, and so it climbs up around. I, I think it it finally kind of stopped uh, stopped growing somewhere around like thirty three, thirty five thousand impressions. I'm like, hey, mm-hmm. not not bad. Uh, and kind of built off that through the week, where I actually had a couple different things uh, this week go up over uh, a couple other posts, get near like 150 thousand views a piece. Uh, so a, pr- a pretty solid week on social media impressions for the Solid Seven podcast, and then I go to log into X and I, I get a pop up notice that I've got to acknowledge some things before I can get back into the account, and it's because I have get ready to clutch your pearls. I have committed a copyright violation, uh, and what they were talking about was 
FIFA, the governing body of world soccer, uh, submitted a copyright claim on that 10 or 11 second clip that was all over social media uh, that was actually from the Fox Sports broadcast of Megan Rapinoe's Missed PK and her reaction afterwards. Um, and so that they Twitter removed Twitter X. Sorry, Elon X. Um, and uh, so they removed forcibly removed the uh, the post. And so like I'm free to uh, you know it's actually a DMCA violation, a Digital Millennium Copyright Act. Uh, that that's what kind of helped create Wikimedia Commons and uh, and and fair use. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They're 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 not allowed to do it except. They did it, kind of like a cop who violates your rights, right? Yeah. You need to tell them no. Yeah. But you could complain after. And the so, fact yeah, that's the, the thing. Done, but, I, you know. I, yeah, I can appeal it, and they intentionally put all kinds of uh, very intimidating legalese into it. Like when you're submitting this appeal, you're uh, affirming under penalty of perjury and blah blah blah. It's but the the length of that <laughs> the length of that clip of a sporting event. And the fact that I offered commentary on it to me, I'm not an attorney. I didn't stay at a Holiday Inn Select last night. But to my understanding of fair use falls well within fair use. Oh, it does. And it's, I have had contact with that at a very high global level in terms of intellectual property uh, on a prior team at my current employer. And uh, I'm actually well-versed in it. And you're absolutely correct. Yeah, and I went I went looking on X. I just searched Rapino uh penalty kick. That same oh, that same it's clip still, still active on all <laughs> kinds of accounts. Accounts that got more significantly more views, like 30,000 35,000 views really ain't much. Um no. it, it was just I a, found a few that had 100,000 plus. Uh they just said either nothing or nice things. Yeah. <laughs> and so like it's a FIFA like everything's been about how do we make inroads into the U.S.? How do we get how does how does soccer get a greater following in the U.S.? Uh, you know how you don't do it by not letting people share clips of your sport. Number one, particularly, it's not like I was I wasn't dogging soccer. I wasn't dogging the sport. I wasn't dogging the World Cup. There's plenty of that going around, but that wasn't me. Um, mostly I was annoyed with a team that actually my wife and I have supported for a long time and been great yes, fans have. of. Basically I was in the same place that Carly Lloyd, who is a, a great, uh, American soccer player, um, <laughs> you know, who was sitting behind the podcast desk going, they need to get their crap together. They're phoning it in. This is an embarrassment. Uh, my point was similar to that. Like, regardless of whether or not you agree with their causes, these are athletes who are supposed to be performing, at their very best at the top of the game and any level of distraction, any significant level of distraction is going to be detrimental to performance. And we saw that play out. We saw that. And you, you made a factual observation like Shaq missed the three for the free throw tiger missed the putt, right? Like it's just, it's an observation. Stop signs are red. I I could keep going, right? You made an observation and and it was actually too, as a nested observation, Megan has spent an exponentially larger percentage of her time invested in these social causes than any of her teammates and possibly that all of them put together. So you know what? I'm not begrudging her that, but you know, if, if my favorite team 
a bunch of, you know, like the Bears did that whole stupid music video and stuff like that. I think that was in the 80s. You know, you start focusing on stuff that doesn't matter. It's all fine as long as you're winning. Okay, Lewis Hamilton, when when he's the king of the world, or Max Verstappen now, you know, both Formula One drivers. You know, if they lose a race because they decide to go do something cutesy or they decide to become Mr. Social Activist, hey, you're getting paid to do a job, buddy. You're getting paid to do a thing. Right. LeBron's getting paid to to put points on the board and to manage his team and to be LeBron. Right. Kobe, you can pick any player of any sport you want. And when they don't do that, when they're when when they're the expectations for them to be performance are not met. I I don't want to live in a world where you're not allowed to just observe them like, dude, college football does not exist. Don't even like it couldn't. Everybody's getting nuked, I guess. Right. You know, you see Auburn and Alabama play. All right. It doesn't matter who wins. There's so, talking that's going to happen afterward. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and so and I, about your own team and about the other team. Well, and none of that gets scraped off. Of yeah. Twitter. Well, and I, what, what really annoyed me about it is I'm like, is there, is there any shock value in FIFA being douchey? No. Right. Like, unfortunately, the, no, no. And so no, no giant surprise there, but I was disappointed from somebody who is, uh, you know, I'll own it like, uh, uh, an ex fanboy at this point that loves what they're doing. That's touting what they're doing. That's encouraging, uh, you know, my listeners, my followers to be there, to be active on there. Um, you've been you a know. fan of it dude for well over a decade. And I, so, I mean, I have personally seen, yeah. I have told you to stop talking about it cause I don't care as much as you. <laughs> For well over a decade, like you have been an ardent. And say it with me. Say it with me, Colin. You were wrong. You were wrong. You were wrong. <laughs> Actually, there there was a there was a window there uh, for a few years where I was wrong, uh, where it was hot garbage, but no longer. It's back, baby. It's better than ever. Uh, and so, but my thing is like, it's just disappointing that that video got pulled and they didn't tell FIFA to kick rocks and I'm sure it was automated. Yeah. And I know like Elon says it all the time there. What, what's crazy is like for all the buzz around the firings and the toxic workplace and all that, the people who are still there are active on X themselves. They're, they're interactive. They're excited. They're like, they're in, like, you can tell like there's like, they feel purpose in their work that they're excited about what they're doing. And so from all of these sources, it's listen, like the, the code, everything that was happening here was so bloated. Like nobody, literally no one knows what all the codes doing in all the places at this point. And so they're still digging out. And so I'm willing to give a pass that things like that will get better, but that video never should have been yanked. Yeah. Even, even without a human reviewing it, that video never should have been yanked. Like you don't need the world's best large language model AI to look at my post and the length of that video and go, oh, there, there literally can't possibly be an issue here. Well, if there's an issue for you, then SportsCenter can't play it. Right. There's no, there's no caveat or exemption provided for media companies in the Digital Millennium Copyright Act. Um, it's acts of journalism, right? So, um, yeah, I mean, it's uh, that you're absolutely right. Uh, look, you're right. Like, soccer is is uh, really taking on a life of its own, you know, in this country, and uh, and and I mean, and you've been a huge fan of it for a very long time, supporting it with your actual dollars at multiple different levels, uh, including the local level. Um, and uh, and not just like like you you love going to the games you love you love the game of soccer period and I you know I know you do, um, 
Yeah, I, there, there's just no reason for them to do that. I, look, Elon is actually making a good faith attempt at uh, draining the swamp, as it were. If I had to pick my biggest critique of Trump, other than the fact someone needs to take his phone away, um, every single thing that he's about to try to promise me that he's going to do if I vote for him, my, 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 my question, my response to him would be a question to every one of them. Cool beans. Why didn't you already do it? Yes. Like, okay, but like, you, you know, you have four years. Why, why do you do that already? And that's, that's the thing. <laughs> right? And I don't know how we pivoted back to this, but I'll roll with it. But that's my thing. We don't have to, he, we don't have to stay here. He doesn't have the second out. or third order answer that Vivek does. If he's going to yeah. say, I'm going, I'm going to, to end the deep state, I'm going to drain the swamp. If, if that wasn't the end of the statement, if he went, and listen, I know you've heard this from me before. Here's what I didn't understand then that I do now, and here's what I'm going to do different this time that I didn't do then. If that, I'm waiting for him to say that, but he, it doesn't I doubt exist. he will. There's not, he <laughs> yeah. won't. He won't because there's not that much depth yeah. there, Colin. There's, no, there's no, no depth beyond, no. The, beyond the sound bite of I'm going to end the deep state. But I'm reasonable enough to give him an opportunity to say it. Uh, you know, it's a, you know, so it's it's one of those things. I, I don't. Sure, you know, there, if he wanted to, if he wanted a mea culpa, I would hear him out. There's this common uh, saying that, that, that I, I'm blanking a little bit right now. There's this common saying about fooling me twice. Um, you know, oh, oh, it's on me. It's it's shame on me if you fool me twice. And so, sorry, guy. No. There's a good Bush video on that. <laughs> You know what? Fool me once. I do. Look, shame, shame on you. Fool me, fool me twice. We, For all that, you, you, you can't, can't fool me again. <laughs> I, I do hate. It was always so unfair. Like the brush he was painted with of being unintelligent. You talk to anybody. Yeah, you talk to anybody who was in the room with him. You look at his degrees and his accomplishments. He was an intelligent dude. Clearly, not so much with the wordsmith. I do love the one clip. Uh, post 9-11 when he's out on the golf course and he's talking, you know, like he's talking very seriously and very presidential and he's basically, you know, Toby Keithing like, oh, yeah, you know, <laughs> you know, he sucker punched us, but here we come. But then he just goes, now watch this drive. And I'm like, that's, yeah, that's funny. Yeah. That's good stuff. There, there were, there were personal elements of W and even frankly of, uh, of Bill Clinton that I found to be in, endearing. Um, policy wise, I got big issues, but yeah, no, it's, a. Uh, um, I, I just, uh, you know, yeah. Uh, it, it got, it went downhill with Obama did not get better with Trump. Uh, yeah. you know, whether you agree with Trump's policies or not, he could be funny in like a, you know, a, you know, own your opponent kind of way. I don't tend to find that stuff to be very funny because I don't like to think of fellow citizens as opponents, like some of the machinations of, of government, these massive bureaucracies that don't serve anybody, right? They don't serve anything but themselves because they only exist to self-perpetuate. Uh, but IRS, right? You know, like 80,000, 87,000 new agents. Yeah. Um, dude, there are only like 400 billionaires in the world. Like they didn't hire those agents for the billionaires. Yeah. They hired them for you. They hired them for your $602 on Venmo. That's what they did. And they're coming. Uh, frankly, unfortunately. Well, and again, uh, but, and I, I don't want to get sucked back into this. There's more fun, less depressing stuff that I want to talk about. But Trump, yeah, we need to put this to bed. Trump spent like a liberal Democrat, for sure. And he and, absolutely did. and I'll say this, and I and I actually sent this exact comment to Ramaswamy on X, so I'm sure he saw it. 
Uh, but he was talking about his plans on dealing with the budget and the deficit and stuff. And, and my comment was, that's all well and good, but I'm, no matter what, come mid. I, I was going to say a phrase I don't know if I can say on here without offending some people. But like the point is, what I'm looking for in a president at this point is somebody who will not add another penny to our federal debt. I don't talk to me about reducing the deficit. I'm not dumb. Deficit yeah. and debt don't mean the same thing. Um, yeah. and, and my thing is like what I said was no, no matter what the methodology is, there needs to be a hard line. The next president needs to be unwilling to sign a continuing resolution. They need to force Congress to do their constitutionally mandated job to pass a budget. They need to insist that that budget is balanced, that it will not add a penny to our debt. And if it's not, they shouldn't sign it. And if that means there's a government shutdown, then shut it down. I want the next president of the United States to refuse to add another penny of debt to the books. Yeah, we've uh, only begun to feel the result, the inflationary and depressionary results. Uh, I'm calling it now. We're heading into a very strong recession. And I think that in hindsight, you know, 10 years from now, we'll be able to look back and call it a a depression. Um, I'd make you happy to to say that, but I I think that's where we're heading. Um, You can't print 41% of all dollars to ever exist beginning in May of 2020. You can't do that and not have consequences. So we're feeling those consequences. And here's the deal. All that COVID money, all that money got printed, where'd it go? I mean, the money that got printed, Kale, I mean, it should have been, you know, tens of thousands of what, forty or $60,000 like per citizen, not even per adult, like per like just you have a pulse and you're an American. Like you could be two, right? Uh, if you restricted it to th- that dollar amount spent per like 18 year old or above, you have one foot in the grave. If you just leave it to that, like you have a pulse and you can vote. Um, <clears throat> uh, it was closer to double that. And um, where will that money go? Because we got what, $1,500 checks, something like that, some stupid, you know, two $2,000, whatever it was. I don't remember, right? Yeah. Trillions. You know what I mean? And then, you know, so you can't, there has to be, unfortunately, uh, the boomers did a great job of screwing us. And, um, uh, and people our age, your age and my age now are continuing that fantastic bang up job. And they, and they're spending when the credit cards are maxed and then they're just raising the credit card, uh, limit. And our, our grandchildren are going to be dealing with this problem. Um, you know, we need to do we need to take better care of the planet? Yes. Uh, is there a climate emergency now? No. And there are hundreds, if not thousands, of degreed, PhD, academic climate researchers with climate as their specialty that agree with me, including the founder of Greenpeace, who's not exactly a Republican. Uh, so anyway, founder of the Weather Channel, too. Uh, you know, there's it's a long list. Google it. Um, so there's so, but that's not the big problem. Climatism, right? Do we, we absolutely, you and I are both avid outdoorsmen. We a hundred percent. It infuriates me when I see trash in the ground on a trail. Absolutely, just boils my blood, and I pick it up. Every beach trip turns into a beach cleanup for me, whether I like it or not, because I'm absolutely autistic about it. I, I I demand that I make some place wherever I am in nature cleaner than when I left it. I know you feel the exact same. I know you do the same stuff. 
And I know that neither of us want a cookie. So that's actually the first time in public I've ever said it. It's just anybody who knows me who goes on those trips, same with anybody who knows you, knows that that's what's happening. We're cleaning up uh, because, the, the you know, we need to be better stewards of what God's given us. However, the climate emergency is a fake emergency. The debt emergency is a very, very real emergency. Yeah. And it's going to crush us if we don't fix it. So, yeah, I'm with you. Like, dude, I don't care if the government shuts down. It instantly balances its own budget. It's just yeah. like if you you have a kid that spends too much more money than they make and you instantly you just shut off their credit card, right? Like I'm not saying you got to pay it all back right now. You just can't add to your balance, you know, it's five grand. Okay, cool. Well, they want to put another 500 on it. Can't do that. Er, sir, your card's been rejected. Yeah. So I'm not saying you got to pay it all yeah. back this very second, but you just can't add to it. Uh, well, instantly you are, you are forced to only spend what you make. Uh-huh. At that moment in time, and that's all a government shutdown is. Those people act like, and now, now there are people. Obama being one of them. The last government shutdown, uh, he turned the screws right. So he took uh, and barricaded up public monuments all over the country that required zero money for people to be able to see, like the Washington Monument, and uh, he barricaded it yeah. uh, during that shutdown to turn the screws and to make people feel the pain. Purely for the political effect of saying this sucks. And you know what? He got his hugely imbalanced budget. Bush doubled the national debt. Obama more than doubled it, right? Uh, You know, Trump, I don't know if he doubled it or not, but he added a huge amount to it. Obama, I mean, Obama, <laughs> Biden's really Obama's third term, but uh, Biden, I don't know what the tally is going to be at it's, the end of four we've, years. We've, it's astronomical. We've added, like it's unprecedented. We've added $1.8 trillion in debt in the last three years. Or I'm sorry, last three uh, months. Three years would have been months, bad enough in months. the last three months. Um, yeah. So, well, th- this is a great segue. The national debt yeah. in like 1990 was like 1.3 trillion. I, yeah. I'd have to ask Siri that. But yeah, it, 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 like, it wasn't that long ago when that was the entire national yeah. debt. And it, we added that in overspending it, in a quarter of a year. Yeah. It, it, took a, it took this country well over a century to reach the point of being $1.8 trillion in debt. And we, we just added $1.8 trillion in three, three months. It might have been more than 200 years. Here, let me Google it real quick. But this, is, this is a great point in time, though, to, to pivot to a little other pet project I, I've had. It kind of dovetails with the, the social media push, but not really. But uh, really kind of a, a direct result of, and I don't know if you got a chance to catch this episode, Colin, but... Uh, of having uh, Brian DeMint on, uh, author of Bitcoin Evangelism, a few weeks ago. Um, I won't say I've been orange-pilled. I, I won't – I'm certainly no – I don't know if I'd say I'm a Bitcoiner. I'm certainly certainly no Bitcoin maxi. Um, I, I've been describing myself as, as Bitcoin curious, uh, if I may, since then. But what I've been playing around with is um, podcasting 2.0. Have you heard this terminology at all? Are you familiar with this? I've heard a little bit, but I haven't, so, I haven't heard a uh, whole pod, lot about what it's about. Podcasting 2.0 is, is this, this concept. Um, concept might not be the right word, but if, you're, if, you, if you know podcasting at all, if you're exposed to it beyond uh, you know, the Solid 7 podcast, you've probably heard of Adam Curry. And Adam Curry is referred to as the pod father. <laughs> and he, so like he really – like he uh, you know, got to – uh, podcasting before it was on iPhones or anything like that. And you were side loading shows onto your iPod and, and this kind of thing. So really was the first of the game and he's still in it. And uh, very early on, like we just kind of lucked out 
Um, you know, there, there weren't the directories from the providers. RSS was just kind of the Wild West, and everybody could have an RSS feed, and that's how these things got distributed. And then mm-hmm. Apple kind of took it on more and started to play a bigger role, but very luckily left that quite open. But uh, now, especially with how big a business podcasting has become, how integral it is to companies, like Spotify, like Apple, uh, it's, the feeds have gotten a little more walled, gardeny. It's still kind of open, but it's still not kind of as as free as open as it once was. And so this this podcasting 2.0 is kind of a push in kind of taking it back to that direction. But what's cool about it and why I'm playing around with it is it has this value for value aspect baked into it, where um, you you set some stuff up. And basically you can link like a a Bitcoin lightning wallet to your podcast. So if somebody's listening through a podcast provider, uh, one of these podcast 2.0 providers, which my understanding at this point is the the bigger ones are uh, an app called Podverse and one called Fountain, um, Mm -hmm. that users can link their lightning wallets. And as they're listening to a podcast, it's just that concept of, if you're like showing value for what you're receiving, like if I'm getting value for this thing, I'm going to reciprocate for that value. So you can, uh, for listeners that, that may have missed the, the episode with Brian DeMint, go back and listen to it, read, pick up his book. It's only five bucks on Kindle. Uh, it's fantastic. But so just like, like fiat currency has denominations, Bitcoin has right now two denominations. There's a full coin and then there's mm-hmm. there's sats. That's the other denomination. And a sat is one one hundred millionth of a full Bitcoin. So like right now, $10 worth of sats um, is like 29 or $10 worth of Bitcoin would be like 29,000 sats, right? But so mm-hmm. as you're listening in these podcast 2.0 apps, you can... Uh, they call it streaming sats. Like you can just set the app to, as you're listening to the podcast, every minute it will send a set amount of sats determined by you to the podcast, to the podcaster. Or you can send boosts. You can be like, oh, I'm really liking this. And you can just dump a whole bunch of, again, you pick an amount and you can just send sats. So it's this value for value concept. And even the app fountain is doing something really cool wherein they're doing the value for value thing in both directions where um, they'll send their users sats like per minute for their first hour of listening every day. And it's not a predetermined amount and it's not every day. One day you might be listening and getting like 10 sats per minute. One day it might be a hundred. It's like this rolling thing, but you can also, as a podcaster, you can promote things. So I could say like, I want to promote the podcast or I want to promote a particular episode and I pay fountain to do that. But then it would highlight that episode on their dashboard on their homepage and it would pay sats to any listener that listens to that promoted item. So as a listener, you can kind of get some value back for your time because, of course, you're adding value to that streamer and to that network by listening to their ads and playing, you know, getting your podcast plays through there. So it's this really neat kind of community, kind of a cool way to, you know, if you want to hedge against uh, the dollar and inflation and stuff like that, you can... Uh, you know, you can get some, you can stack some sats as the Bitcoiners say, uh, kind of mm-hmm. with kind of with minimal effort. But I, I really like, I mean, there's, there's kind of that value for value thing going on where, you know, like on Spotify, you can turn on tips and stuff right now, which I don't think I have them turned on. 
Um, obviously you can do the Patreon thing and that's kind of, we've got Patreon and we've got great Patreon supporters. And if you're a $10 a month supporter, you get an awesome solid seven mug. But again, that's kind of its whole extra sales pitch. And you've got to get over that hurdle to get somebody to make that extra click to go to that thing and do whatever, where I, I just like the idea of this value for value. Um, you know, not that there's a large percentage of the population that's sitting out there that, you know, has, you know, lightning wallets for Bitcoin and can even do this thing, but to just, re, you know, remove those hurdles and those barriers to entry of, I'm listening to this thing, I'm enjoying it, I'm going to support it with very minimal effort. Uh, it's just kind of a cool thing. So if you're out there and you're listening and you know what Podcasting 2.0 is or you're a Bitcoiner, uh, we're on Podverse, we're on uh, Fountain, and uh, our Lightning Wallet's connected. So feel free to go stream sats. It's a cool thing to me. I don't I don't think that's what's going to take me full-time into podcasting. I don't think that's going to cover all the bills uh, by any stretch of the imagination. I, I just think it's a, it's a cool thing to play with for sure. I think it's great because it, it brings you closer to the tip jar or the tip app, right? Uh, anytime you have an intermediary, uh, they they become kind of a creature of their own, and they've got their own costs, and they become their business. So, you know, whether it's a radio station or Spotify or whoever, anytime you can directly connect with people who feel that you're bringing them value, and if they feel so inclined that they can return the favor and say, okay, my time's valuable, so I'm going to from my because you've given me something valuable for my time, I'm going to give I'm going to gift you something, right? And um, uh, I think that's great. Yeah. So uh, how the degree to you that you to which you've explained it is the that's as much as I know about it. But what what I've heard so far, I like very much. So yeah. I think it's a very good idea. Yeah. It's really only moderately more difficult than. Uh, and, and difficult is, is the wrong word because that makes it sound like more than it is than just popping into, uh, you know, Overcast or Spotify or Apple Podcasts. I mean, it's when you initially set up your account, you I think um, Fountain, I think they'll set up their own like their own lightning wallet for you. You don't even have to link to a separate wallet, I don't think. Uh, mm-hmm. And you dump some sats in there, which you can do with Fiat. You can take your your debit card or credit card and say, OK, put you know, 30 bucks worth of whatever there. And you think about it like $30 worth, that'd be almost like 90,000 sats right now. So you could really stream pretty small amounts to somebody you're listening to or send small boosts. And really, you know, you're sending 500 sats. It's it's pennies, it's cents, right? But it's it's the thought that counts. One thing that's really... It's also a way for you to help your favorite podcaster or podcasters it's a way to help them communicate their scope and their reach and their impact to any potential sponsors. Yeah. So it's a concrete way for the, you to, for them to say, well, you know, here's how many people who think I'm bringing them value. Right. Um, so it doesn't have to be very much. It's just, they're all, you could see if they're distinct, different gifts for whatever. And yeah, I, I think it's good for that also. So it's yeah. not just, you know, so in that way their gift can be multiplied. It's not just the fact that they're giving, a fraction of a penny it's it's the fact that they you know give a fraction of a penny for every 10 minutes or whatever that they listen to all your podcasts they're gonna forget about spending that amount additional at like target or wherever right yeah um so they're not gonna i'm not minimizing it uh but they're not gonna necessarily miss it uh, especially on a long enough time scale you know take you quite some time listening to podcasts to make that dwindle yeah. uh it's not like a toll card balance or something like an e-pass 
um, you, you know, where you put 50 bucks on and you're like, how's it empty? Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I think it's good. I think it's good. And it allows your, the, the talent, the people and the podcasts that you listen to, to be able to articulate that better. Yeah. And, and which helps them be able to do more, to make more stuff, to make generate more content. Yeah. It's, it's a cool thing in playing with them. I've been a little more impressed with, and there might be other apps that are doing this pod podverse and fountain are just the, the two seem to be the two big players are the ones that came on my radar. Podverse mm-hmm. podverse feels a little more polished. It's a little bit better UI, uh, it's a little more like the podcast apps that most of us are probably used to using. Um, but I just, that, that, uh, that functionality of fountain is just really neat to me of they're, they're, they're streaming you sats as a listener, um, for, for your attention and for your time. And the, the way they're allowing promotion of podcasts and episodes is a really cool yeah. thing. It's also got a, a really neat functionality built in to make it really easy to, to make clips, whether you're a listener or you're the, the podcast host to make clips and people can even like, like, and boost those. And you can set it so that when you like something, it sends a certain amount of sats. Um, so it, it just a really, uh, really neat little ecosystem. So I, I'm interested to kind of play around with that. So hopefully some of you listeners, I, this is not just a ploy for sats, but, uh, would love to see some people play around with that and uh, hear some feedback about how that's working or, or what you think about that for sure. Yeah. And I, you know, look, you, you have to choose as a content creator, do you want to have iron grip control over how your content is distributed or do you want to have it be as popular as possible? Right. I, it always makes you laugh when you, you know, you find some band and this is exclusively directed towards like big bands, you know, like, you know, Aerosmith or someone else like that. Um, where, you know, they're not exactly in their hit making prime right now, right? I'm sure they're getting good streams and all that stuff and good, you know, good album sales and all this. But like, you know, anytime somebody takes their their thing, say on TikTok, right? And then and then something goes a little viral and then they have it shut down, I'm thinking, you're just making yourself less relevant, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, like if I were your manager, I would fire you. I would say that no, this is horrible. This is free press. Yeah, you know, so you get paid for it. Who cares? Okay, but now you're back in the limelight, dummy. Now, you know, now you get to do that. Now, I, I'm not. I, I artists, if, if they should be paid for their paid for their their work, their art. If their art is valuable, it's valuable, right? So I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about some of these biggies, and uh, whether it's a TV show or a movie or whatever. And I'm like, okay, that, how much free advertising did you just kill? Look yeah. at it as an ad buy that you literally didn't pay for. So for stuff like this, it makes it easier for people if they if a part of your podcast was valuable to them, maybe they're not going to blast it on Twitter for their 500 million followers. Maybe they just want to send it to one of their good friends. Like, hey, here's this two-minute clip. This is what we were talking about the other day. They said it better than I did. Or though they I, said something really interesting. Boom. Here, you know, Go listen to it. Though me, I do want right? to be very clear that we here at the Sots of a Podcast do encourage you to share the podcast with your 500 million followers. Just... I don't want I don't. I just want to make sure there's no. <laughs> just want to make sure there's no ambiguity here. Like Elon, if you're listening, buddy, 100% feel free to post about the episode. Uh, just go ahead. You just do. You can do that. Um, but yeah, well, and you look at even Dave Matthews Band. Their success was built on like bootleg audio being passed around. They were really, honestly, like the Grateful Dead 2.0 when it came to how their popularity propagated. 
through through culture, you know, because you know the Grateful Dead for the youngins. Uh, so much of their popularity came from deadheads, and the term deadhead referred to people who would follow their them around to all these concerts and make bootleg recordings. Yeah. Uh, whether it's through, I don't know if you know this, any uh, any dynamic pair of headphones is also a dynamic microphone. So a lot of people took portable cassette recorders from Sony and Panasonic and TIAC and whatever, and would plug the headphones and the microphone input and record these full-length concerts by the Grateful Dead. Um, and then distribute them in the underground, right? You know, make copies and whatever. Back when you had to put a piece of tape over the cassette to be able to make another copy. Anyway, Google it. But uh, but yeah, Dave Matthews was the 20th century, late late 20th and early 21st century uh, analog of that and really yeah. continuance of that. I mean, and look, how many albums had, did they record also? How many events did they record and they would later release a... Um, you know, a live version of it, even if you, some of them aren't particularly polished, like you could tell they weren't really planning on that, but their fan base demands it. And they're going to sell 50, 80,000 copies of it just guaranteed yeah. because they know they have that many people who just want it. Well, well dude, I, I, this is an aside, but listeners right now, uh, you know, stop the podcast. Don't stop the podcast, but do yourself a favor. And on your streaming service of choice, look up, Dave Matthews and Tim Reynolds live at Luther Lutheran or Luther college and then yeah. sit back and enjoy an absolute top tier guitar playing clinic. I mean, just some of the best guitar playing you'll ever hear in your entire life on that album. If you've never heard it, but I, but I digress, but no, you're right. And I, I tell you what, I've, I've got the perfect story to kind of put a bow on this episode and really tie together a lot of what we talked about tonight. And um, well, I say tonight, you're not supposed to do that. I don't know when people are listening. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, uh, I, I work with teams all over the planet, yeah. literally on every continent. But like, it's nighttime where we're recording this. We're in the Northern Hemisphere and it's nighttime. So wherever you are, it's like coast to coast AM, right? But, From the high desert. Uh, yeah, wherever you are, uh, it's nighttime for us right now. Feel, so. feel good story. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have a problem with that. Feel good story of the week is this just absolutely unheard of artist. Like not small, not underground, not like, you know, the punk community knows like this a nobody. I don't mean that derogatory, but a, 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 a nobody. This guy yeah, like two followers. This guy by the oh. name of Oliver Anthony posts this song. Rich, rich men north of Richmond to YouTube. Friend asked him to come and record one of his songs. Somebody snags this. I I heard maybe it was on uh, TikTok. Obviously, as Americans here at the Solid Seven Podcast, that is not where we find this. Found this two two days two days ago. As we're recording this, I see this video of this guy playing and singing pop up on X. And I mean, it's just like raw and real and the dude's singing lived lyrics. And this song is is every bit like modern day anthem of the working man. Like it's lived experience for so many people. And uh, Chase Steely is the account where I saw this coming from on X. And a lot of people were just reposting uh, from that, me included, mm-hmm. once, I, once I heard this. And... This song and this artist, Oliver Anthony, just 
blew up. And within uh, listeners, I'll be surprised if you have not heard this song or heard of this guy or seen this video by time the the pod this episode drops. Uh, I'll, I'll be shocked because it's just gone so big, so fast. He had no social media of his own. Other, he had, a, I think, a small YouTube channel um, where this got posted to. And, I mean, it just grabbed hold. And this guy who, I, I don't know him, Hawthorne's the last name, uh, kind of a self-made millionaire, billionaire, like, grabs a hold of this. And he's like, I I will fund No Strings Attached your like your your travel and any expense for you going to record and john rich of big and rich john rich arguably one of the biggest names and producers in country music now is like yeah i'll produce this pro bono and then one of the bigger representation agencies chimes in he's like "Uh, yeah we'll take care of of uh, comms and marketing for you pro bono that's on us and and the Hawthorne guy who kicked this off and was like, okay, cool, you're in on the deal, but on, the only way this this goes down is if he he owns all the content, like forget the pro bono stuff. He owns all his stuff, him or I'm not or we're not doing this with you. They nice. they they get the kid on Twitter, um, on tw- sorry on X. This is within a day. Like I'm looking at his account right now. If if you want to go and follow him, his his handle on X is ain't got a dollar. Uh, got a G O T T A ain't got a dollar. Literally it says joined August, 2023. Um, is this slightly infuriating knowing that I've been busting my hump to get into triple digit followers? Maybe kids at 125,000 followers as we record right now. I'll be shocked if that's not more than double that by time you're listening to this podcast, his song, which has does not have a professional studio recording is currently number one on Apple Music. They loaded it to Apple Music yesterday. It's number one on Apple Music right now. No one knew this kid's name two days ago. Wow. Yeah, I'm on it. He's got, how many posts do you have on his Twitter? Two? I'm counting literally two? Am I counting that right? Yeah, there, there's <laughs> one. Literally, he says, Richmond, north of Richmond, has been uploaded to all major streaming platforms and will show up there in a few days. I'm still in a state of shock at the outpouring of love I've seen in the comments, messages, and emails. I'm working to respond to everyone as quickly as possible. The The guy that kicked this off, Hawthorne, whatever his name is, that uh, as far as kind of like getting this kid in the studio, let's get him cut albums, whatever. He's like, yeah, I had a hard time getting a hold of him and I had my suspicions, but it was because he just was at work. Like this blew up and he went to work, which I guess, I mean, what else would you do? Um, But uh, then his second post is just true to form. So he's just letting everybody know that he's going to be playing at the uh, Morris Farmers Market in uh, Currituck, North Carolina, and there's free admission if anybody wants to come. I, I just everything about it such such a feel good story, and and you listen to it, um, and uh, he was struggling with addiction, and just had this real moment, this real experience with God, and set that aside, and that's what's fueling a lot of this stuff, and uh, especially with the um, you know my experience with copyright this week. I was hesitant to do this, and people could go and find this themselves. I've never really played anything on here. You've got some expertise in this area, Colin. As long as I'm playing 30 seconds or less of audio, I should be fine in the realm of fair use, yeah? If you do that and you attribute it, 
Uh, unless, yeah, yeah. I mean, you're you're basically so, allowed to do that. It's in the public domain. Real quick, so. I'm going to do this a super ghetto way. Colin, with your background in mind, we understand how this is going to work. So I'm going to do my illustrious audio engineer art a favor. I'm just going to play this off the phone into the microphone. Colin and I are going to be dead quiet while I do that because Art's actually going to come back in and splice in good audio over top of this. But I just want to play a little bit of this and share it um, just in case a listener hasn't already heard it. Um, I, I just love this story. I love there because there's so much, how much talent out there is like this and just goes undiscovered forever. They take their talent to the grave. Um, yeah. but for this to blow up like this and just, it's so impactful, the, the messaging of it, uh, it's not particularly highbrow lyrics, but it's, uh, it's just so well done. So well performed. I'm going to see, um, I'll actually, it's, it's on Apple music. Now I'll play it off Apple music. I'm like, should I do this on a, on a video? But no, we'll do it. We'll do it this way. So, all right. Thir- 30 seconds or less, a little, a little taste of, I'm going to make sure I don't end up playing this to, uh, a home pod in one of my children's bedrooms as they sleep right now. Um, a little bit of, of rich men of North Richmond by, uh, Oliver Anthony music. Here we go. I've been selling my soul, working all day, overtime hours for bullshit pay, so I can sit out here and waste my life away, drag back home and drown my troubles away. It's a damn shame what the world's gotten to for people like me, people like you. Wish I could just wake up and it not be true. Dude, I mean, it's just. It's raw, it's real, it's clearly not produced. It's clearly, you know, there's there's not any kind of auto-tune. There's not anything like that going on. Like, he's playing a steel guitar, standing in front of a microphone out in the woods. Like, if you see the video of this, that's how this was recorded. Yeah, and, and courtesy of your uh, lovely wife and her amazing family, um, <clears throat> you and I both, through different avenues, have been uh, exposed to some really beautiful, just real music, just raw unrefined live yes sometimes extemporaneous and it's like a borderline spiritual experience because it comes straight from the heart across genres right it's not but this happens to be a very heartfelt folk song that uh i mean this this is like bob dylan level I mean, yeah. it might even be better. I mean, well, it is, it's certainly you know, James it's, Taylor. It's certainly better vocals. You know. He's got that that um, that Chris Stapleton vibe to his to his voice, and uh, I mean, it's just so so good. I mean, obviously, that's just a taste. Go check it out. Go give him all yeah. the plays, whatever he's getting, penny per play, half a penny per play. Like, just put it on repeat. Uh, he's it's gonna a have voice that honestly, it doesn't sound like he's been. It sounds almost like he's been saving it for most of his life because he's not a spring chick and he looks like he might be closer to our age. He's not some little 15-year-old, you know, and I'm not making fun of any 15-year-olds, but it doesn't sound like he went to Juilliard. And I mean that in a good way. Yeah. But but it, it, I feel like this is that type of almost like Adele, right? Yeah. Where like she just kind of like showed up and I'm like, you sing like a grown woman. And this dude's singing – like a grown man who's lived some life well, and, and uh, yeah. it's, it's awesome. And so much of the, some, so many of the comments that I've seen on his content are like, yes, this is real music or this is real country music or it's clearly resonating yeah. with people. 
And, and my response to that was, yes, like you can hear the difference. You can feel the difference between someone who is, can be very, very talented um, and very, very gifted, but somebody who's performing lyrics that were handed to them from some writer's room or some writer's workshop in Nashville, right? Versus yeah. somebody who's, who's storytelling who, and who's lived that story. You just absolutely... Um, you don't need to be a musician. You don't need to be an audiophile like yourself. You you can feel that at a at a at a legitimately spiritual level. You can tell the difference in music like that. So it was just so cool to see that blow up. I'm interested to see, uh, you know, what else comes from this guy. What happens when he gets in the studio with somebody like a like a John Rich and with some uh, you know a, a, a good backing band and hopefully they don't do that hopefully they're not coming to him with hey we we pulled all these songs that have been written that we think would be a good fit for you like give this guy a, a, a blank pad and a pen and let him do his thing and uh, just do it with some better microphones and somebody with a, a drum kit around and uh, I don't even know if I want that I want an yeah. old empty church. I want him and his guitar on two separate mics, maybe even one. He's on one mic in this, but yeah, I could take, you know, you know, uh, just a real naked setup, maybe an upright bass. I don't even know if I want a percussion session. Oh, dude, imagine. I just want him to fill that old church. Yeah. Imagine going with, and listening to this does. guy at the Ryman. Imagine he's booked at the Ryman. Oh. Give me a break, man. So yeah, listeners, dude. for sure, go check him out. Support him. I, I think you'll like it. Uh, I'm I'm not going to bleep the lyrics, so my apologies if that was uh, offensive to you. I'm I'm not gonna uh, I'm not gonna edit his story, um, but uh, it's uh, it, it was just a really a really cool story, and you know tied together so many things. It's a nice button on the episode uh, yeah. tonight, and uh, a happy note I think so. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, it, it's great. You owe yourself a listen. Anytime we could steer somebody towards uh, some hometown music, uh, regardless of genre, uh, you know, somebody on SoundCloud as opposed to uh, some big artist on Spotify, you know, expand your universe a little bit. Go give it a good, you know, worst case scenario, you waste, what, three minutes? How long is the song, right? Yeah. It's a good song. Though. Yeah. It's a real good song. I say I'm not going to bleep the yeah. lyrics now that I'm thinking back on having said it. Uh, a bleep would be annoying. The audio might drop out on those lyrics. You'll already know by the time you're hearing this because the song's ahead of me talking in the podcast right now. So, <laughs> Yeah. Well, you know, way to be a bad parent if you let your kids hear that. Yeah, That's yeah, your fault. Yeah. <laughs> so, and it was a trap. Uh, well, brother, I appreciate you. It is always a good time. You were, of course, yeah, uh, a, a welcome guest on the podcast. Anytime uh, you'll have us, uh, I enjoy it. So. Uh, it's, it's always great to be here. And, um, yeah, I think we both have uh, finished our Jocko goes and, uh, yeah, no, uh, what a great space for us to talk about uh, just a little bit of everything. Yeah. I'm well caffeinated. Now let's go try to sleep. Don't tell Jocko listeners. We appreciate you uh, sticking with us uh, as always, whatever app you're on, even if it's not podcast 2.0, somewhere on there, there's a button to follow or subscribe. Do us a favor, press that button. Give us a little review. One of the best things you can do if you want to support the podcast uh, is just tell somebody about it, share our posts or share the episodes. Um, all that stuff just, just goes a long way. It really means a lot to us here at the podcast. If you haven't ever, uh, check out the website. There's always, 
always links to the the latest episodes of the back catalog on there. Um, all of our affiliates are on there. Uh, love them. Love what they're about. Go Ruck, Origin Main, Chaco Fuel, Tuttle Twins. Uh, all of those are great ways to uh, get something good in your life and support the podcast uh, in the process. Of course, links to our socials uh, on there as well. So just a, a magical place of wonder and uh, merriment and uh, well worth your time, I think. I don't, I don't know. Let me know. <laughs> so, well, Colin, I love you. Listeners, we love you. And until next week, we're out. The Solid 7 Podcast is a proud affiliate of GORUCK. GORUCK designs and builds the toughest gear on the planet, tested and proven at thousands of GORUCK events held all over the world and led by current and former Special Forces combat veterans. The GORUCK brand stands for Building Better Americans, the Special Forces Way of Life, and a life-or-death approach to building the world's toughest gear. Visit Solid7Podcast.com and click on the GORUCK link to learn more about their gear and events And a portion of every purchase and every event registration you make will go to support us here at the Solid 7 Podcast.